and welcome to the Thumb Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael Daniel Head the Machine, and to my right, your left is Sebastian the Bookkeeper. You might be flipped, you might be on their their right. Whatever. And across the airwaves <laughs> is Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. So today, we have a special episode. Um, not because it's significant in numbers or anything like that, but we have skipped a couple weeks. If you noticed, all these shorts are coming out. Theodore's made some shorts. I made a bunch of shorts. We're dropping one basically every day except for Sundays in the month of November. So hopefully you aren't hating those. Um, <laughs> they are rehashes of our old episodes. Maybe one day we'll have unique shorts <laughs> content, but you know, for now we're trying it out. They've converted pretty well. They've performed pretty well. And they do you the benefit of not having to listen to the whole podcast if you are an <laughs> avid listener and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to listen to an hour and a half about whatever the subject is. Um, just listen to the shorts. And the shorts uh, give you a snapshot of what the episode was about, all the highlights. So that being said, we haven't dropped a, a new episode in a while. And this new episode today is going to be a rehash of our very first podcast episode, which I've been dying to do for a while, honestly. So I'm glad we brought it up now. Back then, if you know your found cause lore, it was just me, <laughs> Theodore, and Isaiah. And we've replaced Isaiah for like 170 episodes now with Sebastian. So it's about time <laughs> that he pop up. Um, the episode was entitled, Who is My Brother? And the question is, who can we rightfully call Christians, brothers in Christ? Uh, and when do, we, when do we draw the line and say, okay, you might think you are Christian, but you are no longer Christian. Um, or maybe they don't even think they're Christian, but we draw the line. And that can be a really easy question, and it can be a really hard question. And we were thinking about it in light of last week, we had an untelevised, unrecorded conversation with um, one of our avid commenters, Eric Harb. Very reasoned conversation with him. Um, didn't record it. Um, and it got us thinking, Not he still rejects the gospel and thinks we reject the gospel, so don't think that that didn't happen. But uh, it got us thinking, what remind ourselves what do we set our dividing lines as um, and are we being reasonable in calling Erica Harb heretic and um, is he being unreasonable in calling us a heretic that's that's why we're having this kind of episode any other like comments as to why we're doing this Theodore or Sebastian I would say ultimately this is we're not God himself so mm -hmm. we're not judges of hearts but scripture does give us guidelines of who we should fellowship with so this is more of that leaning towards that side of how can we as humans can reason and observe this person I can fellowship with because he or she is shares the spirit of Christ that I have in me. Yeah. So just as a disclaimer, mm -hmm. I would like to say, uh, since our first rendition of this was four years ago, at least me personally, since at that time I was uh, one or two years out of a uh, cult, um, I don't think any of us were in heresy back then, um, but um, obviously now, uh, for sure me, um, having been legit Christian uh, for more time than I was back then, um, we have honed our exegesis and apologetics yeah. um, and are more mature in the faith, certainly four years more mature in the faith than back then yeah and that should go for all of us i mean we the doing this podcast has has got us to think deeper um and just being four years older makes us think deeper and i will say and oh go ahead and along with that uh part of like uh who is my brother or who's our brother um i wanted to kind of distinguish three things because there are new believers who mm. we won't really expect much of but yeah. we do expect something like a 
we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, believing in Jesus, confession of faith and personal sin and um, Jesus paying for that sin. And then there's also things that we'd expect of growing believers and then also of people who claim to be mature believers um, or maybe elders in the faith. Yeah. And, and maybe we should yeah set that kind of groundwork. A lot of people hate this exercise. Um, so if you've just, if you're watching a video, you can see my <laughs> face is now lit up with the white glow of my computer screen because I've whipped up a Word document. Um, I have had, ever since that episode, a little bit before actually, that first fateful episode, I've had a document running on my computer um, called Proper and Improper Christian Dividing Lines. And I have printed it. It has a long list of possible dividing lines. And I've printed it out and shared it with co-leads at Bible studies, with my wife, with people in interviews, with each of you guys. Um, I think I've seen this. Um, at least you saw it on episode one, Theodore. And I definitely shared it with Sebastian too in, in the past. So a lot of people hate this document. They think it's hyper-aggressive to be talking about proper and improper Christian dividing lines. They really don't like me going over it with them, right? Like, this doesn't usually go off well when I bring it up. But I think it is incredibly important because it's just like, I don't know, other uncomfortable things like budgeting or other things that you have to do in your life. It hurts to go through line by line what things are important or not because you may know people who you want to keep listening to and you want to believe are Christian but really aren't because they break one of these things. Um, Or likewise, you may want to think that somebody is not a Christian when they really are a Christian, even though you very vehemently disagree about something they believe in. So I would say that just like you said, Theodore, the assumptions here are that not, this is not, this whole exercise is not about determining whether or not an individual is saved or not because somebody could have all their theological T's and I's dotted and crossed but still not be saved, right? So this this is not about discerning that. And likewise, somebody could be confused into one of these things we talk about. And I, who's to say that God won't correct them in the future? And it's not like believing that thing, so say like rejecting the Trinity for a second, um, suddenly is damning you to hell. Like the, there's room for, for growth and, and development. Um, saved people can be deceived. It's another assumption here. Sin dims the light of truth. So sin dims truth but changing the gospel throws that truth away so that's that's why we're talking about like what are the fundamentals of rejecting christianity here or what the christian message is and uh i'll say speaking for myself i have this this list this word document that's glowing on my face right now um it's supposed to be exhaustive so anything that's not on my list is supposed to be tolerated um, and it's a pretty long list, and but it's not that long. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that are not on this list that I then therefore say tolerate, even if I don't agree with them. Yeah. So that being said, let me let me flip it to you guys. What what philosophy do you have on determining whether or not something is fundamental to the Christian faith or an adiaphora ad- or secondary? Adiaphora. Adiaphora. Thank you. Yeah. Adiaphora is things that are not that important but are still somewhat important mm-hmm. not essential essential non essentials uh for me i would start with scripture is this topic explicitly taught in the bible and is it held in high regard for example i would say the divinity of jesus is as he says in the gospel of john unless you believe that i am he you will die in your sins starting easy because you know if you reject the divinity of jesus what are you doing yeah are you even a christian no so no and there are people you know this might sound easy but there are people who claim to be christians but they're like well i I believe in jesus was a great man 
Okay. Yes, I agree. We start with, if you don't believe Jesus is, is God, then you are a Christian. So I use as an example because that is something we can observe in the Bible and you will be directly going against the scripture. Mm-hmm. And then that go- then goes into other categories. If you don't believe Jesus is truly God and just a mere man, then how could he die for sins? And then maybe you don't believe that he died for a sin. So that leads to all these other problems. So yeah. I would say start with, start with scripture and then you can start making your list from there. Not oh, very important, you know, take it for granted, not just what you like to hear, what your pastor says, but you need to check that your beliefs are consistent with scripture. Yeah. Now, the problem with that kind of philosophy about being consistent with scripture is um, there are a lot of things that people disagree about what scripture has to say. So what you mean, and you described it to is things that are irrefutably described in scripture yes. that, that yes. are also fundamental to the message of scripture. Um, if you disagree with those, in your book, you're not a Christian because it's clearly taught in scripture and it's fundamental to what scripture means being Christian. And you believe one of those things is Jesus being God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could keep going. Otherwise, maybe Theodore, you want to... Yeah, Theodore, give us some of your philosophy on the dividing lines between Christians and non-Christians. Like a, a philosophy, so have... like the broad things. I might not have gone as detailed as you guys, <laughs> but so for a new believer, I was thinking, and extremely basically, uh, you just got to know I am unclean and condemned and Jesus cleanses and saves. So you need to have that belief and confess um, kind of those things. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, yeah, as far as like, um, being reborn, regeneration, having being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, um, that's maybe all it takes, if not even less. Um, so but... question for you then, philosophically, <laughs> um, if somebody <laughs> b- says those words, so they say they believe that Jesus say that they are unclean and that Jesus saves, they believe that their nature is fallen or whatever, you know, whatever you, their state. you find, their state, whatever, <laughs> that they need Jesus, right? They need salvation and that Jesus offers salvation. Um, what if they say, um, and Jesus is a squirrel, you know, like he is this squirrel in my backyard. Um, I would assume you'd say that's not a Christian. Right. Um, so one thing I've been dwelling on is Second um, Timothy two nineteen, which says, "Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal: the Lord knows those who are His." So you can you can say you believe, you can confess with your mouth, um, but if you don't really believe, or if you're believing something completely different, then I mean, that's wrong. But so I'm just saying for someone who has true belief and true knowledge, that's all it takes. Understanding um, the truth that they're unclean and condemned and that Jesus saves them. Now for a growing believer, which probably most of us we're around mostly growing believers, probably in church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say they, um, with the with their growth, with their um, compulsion of, or like feeling the need to know more, um, 
by necessity, by thirst and hunger for more of God. Um, I think uh, kind of three things I just listed briefly. They will see there is strong biblical support for the Trinity. Um, they will see they will begin to show evidence of Christ-like love, and the Bible uh, will become their source of truth. And every truth is to be checked with the Bible. Hmm. So I'm I'm hearing you would say that there are going to be early believers who don't understand the Trinity well. They don't hold to biblical infallibility, and they aren't showing fruit, but because they've got the basic belief that Jesus saves them and that they needed saving, they are still, they can still be considered brothers. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. And I'm going to add some just to to fill out the the philosophy here. Um, You agreed that somebody believing that Jesus saves them, but that Jesus is a squirrel isn't really a Christian. So there must be some definition of who Jesus is from the get-go I assume. right yeah yeah so that would go with like that'd be the growing believer part like you would further understand who Jesus is um like some people who are in Islam and I I see this so many times watching like a I don't know David Wood uh, Sam Shamoon or whatever yeah. <laughs> watching their video I see in the comment section so many former Muslims saying, yeah, Jesus came to me in this vision. Jesus appeared in a dream. Um, and I knew like at that time, um, I'm, I'm in the wrong. I need to follow this guy. So at that point, you don't necessarily know too much about Jesus. Like a former Muslim would uh, probably not even understand the Trinity all that well or want to believe the Trinity all that well. But if Jesus saves him, then he will come to know the Trinity. He will come to study the Bible and see all that stuff. And his um, knowledge will increase. Okay. Just mm-hmm. chronologically as he continues. So to it needs to be the true faith. Jesus even if the believer doesn't understand exactly who the true Jesus is yet, um, if it's belief in the true Jesus, I mean, it's kind of like circular reasoning, right? If you believe in the real God, then you are really Christian. Um, but yes, I guess you're making room for, you're making room for these people who don't know that Jesus is God yet. They just don't know yet. That's what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so, we could go with that. <laughs> that is a good point. I would also talk about that too, that, ignorance of some of the details of God mm-hmm. are not necessarily damning. Like, for for example, I, I, I like to use Abraham, who the Jews point back to as well, the father of the faith. I don't think he knew exactly at that point when, he's, when Yahweh speaks to him, how exactly he was going to atone for, Yahweh was going to atone for right. the sins of the world or the exact role of salvation between the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father mm-hmm. at that point in time. But I would say he would definitely see him in heaven because he's, he spoke or God spoke to him and, and he knew the real God. He just didn't know all the details. So with that being said, I would say what puts someone in grave danger is rejecting truths about God. Yeah. Like willing, you, you knowingly understand what the Trinity is, 
and you say, no, that's not who God is. Mm-hmm. That's where you're in dangerous territory. Yeah, and I think it, my philosophy here is is that exact thing. It's that um, you can come to very simple faith like Theodore is describing or like Sebastian is, like Abraham had. Um, that That is can be a real believer that has just very simple faith that doesn't have a lot of understanding, even of Jesus is God, I suppose. Um, however, if you reject the idea that Jesus is God, that's when I would say you are you are not a Christian. So even if you claim to have seen Jesus and that Jesus pays for sins and like a lot of the similar things, if you reject Jesus being God, well, you are not a Christian, even at a simple faith level. Um, yeah. Kind of with that, like um, one uh, explanation or description of like, how do we know what books are scripture? Um, there's like the ontological definition uh, definition of that where um, at which the apostles actually wrote and was supposed to be scripture was naturally recognized by the church fathers who were Christians indwelled by the Holy Spirit so as to understand God's word when they read it mm-hmm. so I kind of to relate this uh, relate that, that to this um like if you uh, repent and confess belief in Jesus, and then you start reading the Bible, you're you're going to recognize if you if that's a true belief in confession, mm-hmm. you're going to recognize and understand and accept that which the Bible says as true. You're not going to reject it. Um, yeah. right. You'll be correctable by Scripture. I agree. Now. I mean, I always, there are things that real Christians disagree on, and we're all supposedly reading the Bible and trying to derive things from the Bible. So I want to be careful that when we say, like, you will be corrected by Scripture, I want to make room for people who that disagree with us, and we both think we're believing in Scripture properly, but clearly we're not being corrected by the end of our lives by Scripture or the Spirit of God because we both still disagree by the end. So there is some level of truth that God doesn't has not made 100% clear to every Christian, um, but there are basic truths that I think he does, and we are including the deity of Christ in that basic truth. Philosophically, I will say I have three things that I think if, if you have a belief that breaches these three things, rejects any of these three things, it is, it is not a Christian belief. So that's, this is my philosophy behind the dividing lines that I draw. And that is the nature of God, the nature of the atonement and the nature of man, mankind. If you breach the biblical understanding of those three things, any of those three things, you are no longer a Christian. Um, so that that's my philosophy around all my different specific dividing lines is they are all broken up into those categories. If they don't breach the fundamental nature of God, the fundamental nature of the atonement, or the fundamental nature of mankind, then it is a Christian belief. Um, that's my philosophy. A nice summary. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's not, you know, that's, that's the way I'm understanding it. So I'm take that as the gospel truth. But that's generally how I categorize my my items. And for what it's worth, maybe I will publish my my official proper and improper Christian Dividing Lines document in the description below in case you're looking for specifically exactly what I have. Now, remember, that's just me. It's a list that I've got. So it's trying to be all-encompassing, but you may have things you add or things you delete from it. 
Um, but I'd encourage you to think very carefully about things you delete from it just because, you know, <laughs> I tried to make it uh, as biblically accurate as possible. And if you agree or disagree, comment down below. You, yeah, absolutely. All right. So gentlemen, without further ado, we've discussed philosophies. We've discussed why we're even doing this exercise, which a lot of people disagree with. So let's actually get into it. And uh, for caveat, just to show how controversial this thing is, a lot of churches very much disagree with this kind of exercise. I don't know why. I would say that's irresponsible it, because it as an elder, if so, if an atheist shows up to the church, are you going to give him the Lord's Supper? You shouldn't, right? You should, right. right. Why? Because scripture speaks against doing such a thing. There's a criteria of who yeah. is allowed. So even if you're a responsible elder or deacon, you subconsciously have a criteria. You just don't like to voice it out loud. But everyone has some sort of list is what we're trying to say. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. You don't like to voice it out loud because you you are being careful not to exclude people, which is a good feeling. Um, but you need to be careful because... It's really obvious when the atheist or the Muslim enters church that you don't give them communion, right? You treat them like an unbeliever, kindly, with, with justice and preaching the gospel, but you certainly are preaching the gospel to them. Um, but when a Roman Catholic comes into your church, what do you what do? do? You, yeah. What do you and do? That, that, that's when it becomes real, because many Protestant people would not see any need to correct the Roman Catholic. They would give them communion. Um, and this is where we get into specifics. I don't believe Would a Roman, Roman Catholic Catholics actually Catholic. want to take communion, though, in the Protestant Church. I'm sorry. Repeat that. Would a Roman Catholic actually want to take communion in a Protestant church because they would deem it basically um, wrong, right? Or they would deem it incorrectly done and therefore insufficient um, and unsatisfactory. Yeah. So, so a weird Roman Catholic if they might, know their <laughs> right, or might want to come in. Um, for a variety of reasons, whether out of ignorance or out of just his own weird, weird thing. Um, but I think as a as a leader in the Protestant Church, we should be prepared to address those kind of people, regardless of their understanding level. On that note, if you're not a Roman Catholic, you cannot take communion. So mm -hmm. they have a list of disclaimers, restrictions, yeah. yes. And they would, up until very recently at least, they wouldn't allow Eastern Orthodox to have communion, and the Eastern Orthodox would not allow Catholics to have communion in their churches right. because they have their own requirements. So you have to fulfill in order to take communion so everyone has lists right and it's not i think often we think it's to snub that person like we hate you and therefore that's why we're not letting you have communion no it's actually because we love you and the bible says that if you take communion improperly you're you're ever more condemning yourself and that's why we withhold the communion from people who we don't believe have the gospel because we're trying not to condemn them more so it's not out of hate it's out of love for for neighbor for um for unbeliever mm -hmm. Okay, so that being said, you want to get into specifics. Um, I'm going to give one, then you give one, Sebastian, and you give one, Theodore. People who we believe are anathema, believe they are anti-gospel, cursed, not Christians. I would say, again, categorically, anybody who distorts the nature of God, nature of the atonement, or the nature of man is anathema. I'm going to start with a really, really obvious one, and that is atheists and pagans. They believe that God is either not real or not Yahweh. Those are really easy, home run, knock out of the park. Every Christian should agree that those atheists and pagans are not Christians. Except the Pope? Yeah. Oops. Oh, man, Sorry. you're right. The Pope. The Pope thinks that atheists go to heaven. Um, at least he would say they're not Christians. So. Right. And why are these people not Christians? Because, well, it's in the name. You need, if you need to believe Christ is the Messiah, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the one who is God dwelling among us as john opens up yeah 
or the Ancient of Days from all the prophecies in Isaiah. If you don't believe that, you're not part of the church. You're not, you're right. not a believer. Now, the, those like the Pope would argue that atheists or pagans that do Christian-style things, like baptize their kids or are nice to their neighbors or um, love others, that they are Christian in, even ignorantly, right? So they reject Christ, but they do what Christ teaches and therefore are Christians. And we would say no, because Christ ultimately teaches to worship him and to worship the Father, and they don't. So they disregard him on the most important things and therefore are not Christian. All right, Sebastian, what's another category of people that are anathema? Yeah, well, we said we said, we said Roman Catholics, but let's go even more broad first. It's, it's easier. Muslims are, are not. And... That may be an obvious one to most, except the Pope, for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And wh- why? Why do they? Why were they not Christian? They, well, one of their last chapters, one of their suras, they say, "Huahad." Um, he is God. He is one, like a monad, like just one. And they say, "Lam yalid, lam yulad." He neither begets nor has he has been begotten. Yeah. More or less translated in Arabic. And they also say, oh, people of the book, do not commit commit excess, do not say three, meaning the Trinity. It's not even the word for Trinity, so I don't know what Muhammad was, was doing when he listed that. I don't think he even understood what the Trinity was to reject it. And also they say, you know, why do you attribute, supposedly in the Quran, Jesus says, just a mere prophet, not, not divine, just a prophet in Islam. He says, why do you attribute me divinity, I'm paraphrasing, or the mother and the father? Okay, clearly they don't understand what the Trinity is. They reject whatever the Trinity is, and they don't think God could have um, been incarnate either. So, pretty much. No Jesus divinity rejects the nature of God. Also rejects the nature of the atonement. Um, So. Oh, on that on the atonement, yes, you're saved by your deeds before Allah. Right. So, yeah, there's just the cherry on top. Yep. So uh, Muhammad being a prophet um, isn't necessarily an absolute no-go because you can believe in a false prophet but still be a Christian. But the fact that Muhammad taught things that are totally anti-gospel, that's, you know, that's the problem. All right. Theodore, what's a category of of belief that is totally anathema, not Christian, in your opinion? Um, I didn't really think about this kind of thing, but given that we might be doing an interview with a Hindu next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking Hinduism. Um, I agree. Because they believe in millions of gods. They reject Jesus as Lord over all mm-hmm. and the one God. Um, and um, Hinduism is specifically like kind of sad to me because they believe in basically infinite kind of infinite gods and infinite scriptures therefore you never really know um uh, you never know enough know. <laughs> it's like you never know yeah. the truth because there's always something out there right yeah so in that way it is such an easy way to deceive you and get you sidetracked for your whole life reading all these gurus and this supposed scriptures um, that you don't even make it to even just listening to the, the presentation of the gospel for two minutes. Right. And if you've ever you have seen all our, these other things. Yeah, our Hinduism video, we got many, many commenters. Um, a good portion of them that are 
Hindus will say things like, um, your book is so short. Um, we have, you know, libraries of, of wisdom. So they get very haughty about how much theology they have. But it's all, first of all, it's all garbage. But second of all, even if it was great, it's like endless. Like you'll never be able to read it all. And therefore, like, how useful is it to you that there is wisdom written that you never get to read because it's there's too much and you never get to it? Not useful. And what's more important, length? They're appealing to the length of their books right. <laughs> or authority. Isn't authority more like true truth and authority more yeah. important than length and what? Yeah. You will hardly find a Christian except for the softest of them that will not also, that will, that will not agree with us and say the Hindus are not Christians. They were all Islam, atheists, Hindus, not Christians. Oh, let's do Buddhist because reincarnation is also tied in with these two groups. Yeah, and I would say anybody that believes in reincarnation. So on my list, I yeah. don't call them Hindus. I call them anybody that believes in reincarnation. So even some Jewish people believe in reincarnation, which is um, bizarre. It's bizarre. Uh, <laughs> but saying that and dead Mormons people reincarnate into other creatures is like denying the nature of men. Korean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mormons? Korean cults as well? I was thinking Mormons believe in basically pre incarnation mm. and then current incarnation and then a future incarnation and then eternal progression which is uh, similar enough in my mind to reincarnation basically second chance third chance fourth chance yeah. however many chances you need but they also disagree on that so yeah i would say formal reincarnation is like infinite incarnations um so i would separate it from mormonism but i also have mormonism i list at the most so <laughs> let's not not put that there mormons definitely reject uh that jesus is the god they call him a god of many and that we will become god one day and that then that we are atoned by our good works and so that's a rejection of the nature of god the nature of man and the nature of the atonement so even though this is probably we're getting into categories of things where some pastors would disagree with us i would strongly disagree with them mormons are definitely not christians as much as they beg and whine about being christians as much as they buy the church websites that say they're christians and put jesus christ in all their, their churches um they are not christians they have for a long time said they aren't christians it's just a recent campaign to say that they are and they reject all categories of what it means to be christian and therefore are not and sebastian you were saying something before i don't know if you want to oh, i want that. to use some scripture for doesn't oh. jesus say for it's appointed for man to die once and then under judgment for the reincarnation thing, yeah. Yes, and then doesn't. I'm pretty sure it's Paul that after death comes judgment. Yes. In one of his letters. Mm -hmm. Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. Thessalonians. Thank you. Yes. So I, I just want to throw some scripture in there to see. You know, we're not just piling on these groups because we think they're ugly or right. You know, strange. It's because we have revealed truth from God, revealed through His Holy Spirit. To us for us to learn and observe his nature his character whatever he wants us to know about him and to get to know him better and these groups just reject that right on to mormons uh i think we hit on mormons <laughs> again and i do want to clarify say it. um you mentioned something about what they believe about the the atonement and they do believe that jesus atoned for everybody only so that they could resurrect and get immortal bodies right and no further than that any further than that your like destination where you progress from or whatever after death or after judgment 
is based solely on uh, your own deeds, works, personality, whatever. Right. Character. And so I would say it's it's atonement. So it's not that there is no atonement in Mormonism. It's just not a complete atonement. It's partial. Right. Yeah. yeah. It <laughs> the atonement merely resurrects you from temporary death. Right. It but doesn't save you from eternal death or that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. We're going from the least, con ideally, the least controversial towards getting down to the more controversial. Yeah. Should, kind of. should we throw Pelagianism yeah. in there? And for those who don't recognize our weird terminology, Pelagianism is named after a guy named Pelagius in the Middle Ages. And he, kind of Middle Ages. Yeah. And he said that. So anybody that believes that what I'm about to say is true is a Pelagian, that man is naturally good. That without God, man can get to heaven. Um, that man is naturally good, and therefore, again, without the intervention of God, could be good um, enough to get to heaven. So that's that's pretty broad, because you can have a lot of groups that are Pelagian in philosophy, um, whether they call themselves that or not. But anybody who believes this essentially denies the need for the atonement, and they deny the nature of man, and therefore they break my three criterion for not being Christian. And there are plenty of Pelagians who claim to be Christians, um, and so they, they will hold many things about Christ. They'll, they'll say that they're Christians once. They'll say it. Um, they'll say they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe in the Trinity. They'll believe a lot of things that will make you think they're Christians, but they then say that man is naturally good and that you don't need Jesus Christ to atone for anything. Um, there are more groups that, than you think that are like this. Many people believe that Jesus didn't pay for sins specifically, um, that he just kind of died to show us that he would die for us, and that's super cool. Um, those people are usually Pelagians, and I would categorize them as um, anathema, not not Christians, as much as they kick and whine about being them or cosplay. All right, what's another group? Anti-Trinitarians? Uh, absolutely. It's really broad. And maybe we should justify on this one. Why? Why are anti-Trinitarians? Being anti-Trinitarian is very classically not Christian because of the controversies in the very early church about this. Um, but why do we make it a, a gospel issue? Because salvation is Trinitarian, as I taught to the kids in Sunday school. And we go over the roles of the Trinity. The Father elects. We're going to define what that means later on. You know, that's election. That's going to be for more controversial stuff. Mm -hmm. But the Father elects. The Father uh, begets the Son, so the Son proceeds from the Father. The Son, Jesus Christ, atones for us. He, Jesus Christ dwelt, he tabernacled, he became man and died on our behalf. The Father didn't die on our behalf, but Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God himself, died on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So they're distinct. And the Holy Spirit who Jesus said would come after him, the helper, not Muhammad, but the Holy Spirit, and would dwell in us and sanctify us, grow us to become better Christians in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So the Father elects, the Son atones, saves us, and the Spirit communicates this truth and shows us God's love and sanctifies us. Yeah. Salvation is ultimately Trinitarian in Scripture. And, and I think that you can get many real Christians that are confused on the workings of the Trinity, granted. 
Um, but I think those who reject the Trinity end up with this specific problem. And that is, I mean, some of them would say that Jesus Christ isn't God. And in that case, they're just rejecting the deity of Christ. That one's obvious, not a Christian. Um, but when they say that Jesus is also the Father, is also the Spirit, which is a much more common version of anti-Trinitarianism. Is that modalism? Uh, modalism, right. Or any variant of that. Um, they run into this problem. If Jesus is the Father and is the Spirit, and we know we have the Holy Spirit today, there's no Father in Heaven right now, like we're no Jesus, right? And so you end up with problems with, like, is He ever going to return? How is He atoning for us? What does Heaven look like if He's only the Holy Spirit right now? And I think that's really where anti-Trinitarianism breaks down, is that you either don't have the Holy Spirit and it's only the Father in Heaven, it's only Jesus in Heaven, or it's only the Holy Spirit and, like, who were we, you know, like, who's going to rescue us? Like, when does Jesus return? That kind of thing. We're going to lose the Holy Spirit when he comes back. So um, I leave room for those who are confused to eventually come to the truth. But it is such a clear teaching in scripture, and it causes such great confusion on who you're even praying to if you are anti-Trinitarian, um, that I would, I'm, I'm firm on saying that anti-Trinitarianism should not be tolerated as another f valid form of Christianity. It is not Christianity. It is heresy. All right, Theodore, do you have any other categories? We're getting harder now because we've um, got the big ones out of the way. Okay. Unitarian Universalist. Is that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the name. That's basically what my childhood friend, uh, he went to a Unitarian Universalist church. Mm -hmm. I think Unitarian is the first thing there. But yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of a combination of two um, lesser heresies, I suppose. Unitarianism, so denial of the Trinity, and then also universalism, um, denial of judgment, basically. Yeah. Uh, denial of the consequences of sin. And, or, well, also everywhere it says that in the Bible. But um, so Unitarian Universalists kind of combine that basically saying everybody is God or has some God in them or, or and everybody's going to be saved everybody's going to be reunited with God something like that so they you can basically find God anywhere um and yeah yeah <laughs> I lost a uh, childhood friend basically <laughs> kind of due to religion because I would I'd speak about religion sometimes, and he would not have that. He would rather play some music together, play video games, and that's all. Yeah. So I've been shunned for a decade or so. I don't know. And, you know, it's one that also masquerades as Christianity often because they'll put the cross in there. They will say that they believe that Jesus Christ is God. Um, and that's what will confuse people the most. Because if you, if your only dividing line was saying Jesus Christ was God, which is a very common dividing line for Christians, they're like, oh yeah, I know that one. Um, they will be confused by Mormons, by, um, by, by universal Unitarians who will also say, yeah, Jesus Christ is God. But the, what the Mormon means by Jesus Christ is God is totally different than what we do. And same with the universal Unitarian. The universal Unitarian believes essentially that we're all God, like I said, we're all a piece of the divine or whatever. Um, and that we're all going to heaven. There's no judgment. That is not... Jesus, that's not the actual God of Scripture. That's not God, right? So they, they, when they say God, they mean something totally different. So I totally agree that universalism as a whole 
um, is a rejection of the need for the atonement, the nature of man, the nature of God. And so it is also non-Christian, uh, universalism in any form, but also um, Unitarian Universalists specifically, um, they are not Christian as well. And out of all people in the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about hell and judgment. He does. But yeah, Universalitarians also don't really believe in the Bible. So there's that. All right. I'm going to pick another one out. Sinless perfectionism. I, I promise there is an end to this list. It's only like, I don't know, 20 long. Uh, sinless perfectionism. Believers no longer sin at all. That's the belief that believers no longer sin at all. You're perfect, perfected, perfected by the work of Jesus. Um there are many truisms that these people will say, like, yes, we should be perfect as the Father's perfect, and um, I'll quote First John about not sinning anymore. We all agree that we should not sin anymore. But First John also says that any who said he does not have sin is a liar, it makes God out to be a liar. And so we know that um, we still sin because of the sinful body. So if you believe that you become sinless in this life, you are claiming that your body is now perfected. And essentially that you have no need for resurrection. So whether you understand that or not, you are rejecting the nature of the atonement. Because the atonement just paid for your spirit and your eventual resurrection. And if you don't think you need to be resurrected, well, you know, God help you. Because you will. Um, so that's why I say it fundamentally rejects the gospel. And Paul does speak on this in one of his letters that we need that we'll be glorified with new bodies. Mm -hmm. In the new heavens and new earth. Yep. So it's rejecting that pretty much. And that if we don't believe that we will be resurrected, we should be pitied among all. I mean, that kind of thing. You have any others, Sebastian? I mean, you have my list staring at you, but yeah. you can steal from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Before we get to the to the spicy one, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> on, on topic of our conversation with our friend Eric. Okay. Before getting to that, the old this one's controversial too, that the Old Testament God is bad. Oh man, I hate that one. That one's like pervasive. That's why I hate it because there are many regular Christian churches, and not your weird friendship people or people that are obviously not Christian churches that have elements of this in it, where they say that the Old Testament God is bad God. Like um, Andy Stanley famously is like, you got to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because the Old Testament is bad and essentially that god was was evil and that jesus corrected them or that god mm. was doing bad things and he has changed his mind or whatever the general topic is but calling the god of the old testament evil is a denial of the nature of god because that is the same god that is today he never changes and so to call him evil is to call god evil and therefore you are not christian so i would say this one just like a lot of the others new christian maybe they're confused on this bad point but um i would believe that the, with the correction of the holy spirit in you you would love god when you see him doing things and so if you read the old testament and say i hate that god you probably do and i don't think you're a christian right that's mm -hmm. and if yeah. you do believe that you are a christian and you struggle with that pray to god that your heart would be softened because that is the same jesus christ mm -hmm. who gave the sermon on the mount and also the beatitudes and prayed for the coming kingdom and preached the coming kingdom salvation he is the same one who uh, brought fire on the cities of the plain of sodom and gomorrah 
that that's the exact same Jesus. Go right. to Gen another a Christophany. You know, I, I need to plug this. I need to plug this in. So <laughs> why not go to Genesis 18? When you see Yahweh walking with two angels to meet Abraham, that's Yahweh in human form. And then later, after Abraham tries to negotiate with him, and the angels go in, they only find Lot and his family. They get them out. It says Yahweh standing still on that same cliff where he was just talking to Abraham a few hours ago, rains fire from Yahweh in heaven. Hints of the Trinity, because, you know, there's the Father in heaven and then the Son, who's the only one who, who takes human form. Mm -hmm. So that, sa that same Jesus that we all know and love from the New Testament is the same one who rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. So likewise, just as much as you see judgment in the Old Testament, same amount of death and destruction in the New. And I would always caution everybody don't just think the new testament is all about love and mercy there's that in the old testament jonah scorns is that the right word at god or like shakes shakes his feet shakes his fist at yeah. god it's like i knew you would save my enemies god you are very merciful and compassionate god that would rather show mercy than bring destruction mm -hmm. and god doesn't refute that because that's a true statement so you see as much mercy in the Old Testament as in the New, as much destruction and, and fire, Old Testament, as much as in the New. Yep. All right. Theodore, you have another non-Christian category? <laughs> I don't. So back to Unitarian Universalists. <laughs> I, found, I found the new building that they moved into. And on Yelp, there's two reviews. Ooh, one says... Live updates. One from Eric one star that's good place to go if you are interested in being taught disinformation avoid at all costs <laughs> and then one five star review from susan um who says if you're looking for a liberal non-traditional spiritual community this may be the place for you it is friendly open social justice minded church that welcomes all and i would just like to throw in there like welcomes all is a really meaningless phrase uh because christian churches everywhere they we welcome all but just like jesus who welcomes all you don't stay yourself you right. conform to the image of christ uh jesus transforms you um sure he takes you as you are but then he makes you a whole lot better and he resurrects you and <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it's amazing but um yeah, so obviously you're not going to welcome like a murderer or a rapist and welcome them as they are. Say, you are, you're beautiful just as you are. We, you can stay as you are. It's just all in good time. Whatever you feel is right. No, absolutely not. Yep. So that, that phrase just irks me a lot. But Yeah, well, we have a whole episode on Universal Unitarian, so um, I encourage people to go there. It might even be video. I don't remember. It might have been not. I thought Jesus said, repent and believe, and also pick up your cross and follow me. Many, many things to <laughs> right. say. I'm going to give two more categories that aren't so spicy. I mean, maybe they're kind of spicy, but any of the Millerites, that's a really obscure term, so I'm going to use their more common offshoots. Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is actually Michael the Archangel, and also maybe a little bit of modern-day prophets in there as well uh, in those mixes, um, not God, or not, not Christians. So even though Seventh-day Adventists 
um, they call themselves Christians, call them go to church and believe in Jesus and believe in repentance of sin and whatever else. They don't believe Jesus is God and therefore, and they also believe in adherence to law and some other stuff. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists is a weird one because there are some Seventh-day Adventists churches, specific churches, because they're so diverse, that are basically Baptist churches that do believe Jesus is God and are, are, are believers in the Trinity and don't believe that you have to follow the law to be saved. Um, so caveat that if they believe in official Seventh-day Adventist theology, they are not Christians. But if they are just basically Baptist churches that, that go to church on Saturday, then, you know, whatever. And to point out, like, some of those blurred lines, David Alexander, who we interviewed and chatted about the atonement with, um, he said he went to a and or pastored a Seventh-day Baptist church. So that's like... It's like one of those kind of blurred things yeah. where maybe it's not heretical, maybe it is, but yeah, just gotta um, be I mean, on I your say guard. It is. It is either definitely is or definitely isn't, um, depending on their view of how the law saves you, and of course on Christ's deity. Um, Tobias Witnesses, way more organized as a as a whole. They explicitly reject Jesus's divinity, and therefore they are explicitly not Christian. No questions asked. Yeah, and then also. A very obscure group here that I'm going to call non-Christian. Those are full preterists. So it's a weird name, but what it means is anybody who believes that Jesus has already come back and that this right here is the new heavens and the new earth, that there's no there's no end after this. Like we, we live and we die and that's it. And there, there's no heaven. This is it. Uh, the earth continues on forever or that this is the new heavens and the new earth. So when we die here, we, there, there's nothing afterwards. Those people reject the nature of the atonement, I'd say they reject the nature of God and maybe even the nature of man in that they they think that this is this is God's final design and that this is perfection. Anyways, it should be pretty obvious, but that's not true. Yeah. Now to the controversy. I think I've exhausted all my non-controversial categories. Do you guys have any that are that are not um, Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholics? <laughs> Spoilers. Maybe you in the comment section might. But now we're going to move on to these are the most controversial. And I think a lot of churches are going to go, oh, my, oh, oh, found cause. Oh, oh, you should not put these people in the anathema category. They put us in the anathema category. So. And you too. Not like, yeah, and you too. So <laughs> it's not like um, we're doing something that they don't do to us. Um, so with that being said, Roman Catholics. Why do we think Roman Catholics, the prestigious anti-abortion, solid Roman Catholics. Why aren't they Christians? You mean the Pope? Yeah, the Pope. I mean, the Pope's kind of unique, but yeah. Why aren't Roman Catholics as a whole not Christians? Because they, we agree, disclaimer, we agree with them on the nature of God, I would mm -hmm. say. Trinitarian. Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. The nature of man, the fallenness of man, and the requirement of Christ to die on our behalf. So, yep. so far, so good. The sad, The sad thing is, Actually, well, there are many sad things. The biggest one that uh, would put the teachings of the, I'm very careful with this, the teachings of the Catholic Church and the leadership outside of the kingdom of God is their twisting of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I'm very careful to twist the, 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 the teachings of the church say this because there may be individuals right. in the catholic church huge churches so there's a lot of unique individuals yes just like how you have crazies in germany mm -hmm. that many of you catholic apologists would say yeah those are definitely heretics but they're part of the church and likewise you have many conservatives and you have 
just regular idolaters in Latin America that just are just by tradition that are Catholic. So you're a very diverse group. They deny the atonement in the sense that they go against the teaching of Romans in which Paul, citing the Old Testament, says, blessed is the man to whom God shall not impute sin. Right. This is a really big uh, deal to me, primarily coming from a Roman Catholic background, seeing this in the Bible, that Christ and Christ alone is what removes past, present, and future sins completely. Put it plainly, if God is saying, blessed is the man to whom God shall not impute sin, it means that he was doing it in the past and is no longer doing it. Mm -hmm. The plain reading of the verse, I would say. The Catholic Church teaches, the leadership teaches, that you may become a Christian, you may have the stain of virginal sin washed away by baptism, okay? Strange, but okay. And then you may be a good Catholic, but then if you commit a mortal sin, you will fall away from that grace. God will charge that sin to your account and you will, and if you happen to die without confessing that, you will go straight to hell, even if you've been a faithful Christian, quote unquote, your entire life up to that point. So meaning, they say that God can charge sins against you even after He has taken them away yeah. from you. That is, I would say, a denial of the gospel, and you cannot have true shalom, true peace, Irenes, with, with God in that sense. Yep. And and along with that, Roman Catholics have a couple other beliefs that I throw in here, like baptismal regeneration, meaning that baptism itself is what causes you to be born again. Um, we would we would um, specifically disagree that the physical act of baptism is what God uses to regenerate you. We believe that regeneration is actually from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that it can come with physical baptism, but the physical baptism does not um, bring by necessity, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and therefore does not, by necessity, regenerate the individual. Um, it, what that means practically is, if you baptize a baby or baptize an adult or whoever you're baptizing, it doesn't actually make them a Christian. Um, whereas Roman Catholics would say it does until they fall away and then they've then they're going to hell. Yeah. Can I read something from Galatians, mm -hmm. just on that. Yeah. This was something that I that hit me also, and Roman Catholics. I'm sorry if this seems a bit severe. Uh, please. Uh, reply in the comments. Yeah, defend or yourself. Whatever, but... We don't have enough Catholic uh, videos up, so we need some more to react to. <laughs> so Galatians two sixteen says, "We are justified by faith in Christ and not by by works of the law." It seems obvious to me that there is a dichotomy here, which is faith versus works. And what are the Roman Catholic sacraments, rituals, and rites more nearly? Faith or works? Certainly, they are indeed mandated works that can and have become at times manipulative acts. Mm -hmm. They are not that which is of the heart and spirit, but belief, uh, faith, confidence, assurance is of the heart and spirit. Galatians 3, 3 to 5 says, having begun by the spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain. So then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among among you, does, uh, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The righteous man will live by faith. But if you practice the law so as to live by it, you must practice it immaculately. But having failed it even once, but inevitably immeasurably more than once, you live hour to hour in fear that you have not perfectly confessed completely or, perf or perfectly completed enough acts of penance. 
The law was added because of transgression and has shut up everyone under sin uh, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Yeah, and that's, again, that was straight my ponderings from, on that. Yeah, and it's straight from Scripture. Galatians is a great book to um, because it specifically addresses those who claim to be Christian but want to hold to the law as also justifying them. And that's where, and, and it's the only book where Paul specifically uses the word anathema, meaning fallen away from Christ, doomed to destruction, apart from Christ. Um, and it's specifically for those who hold to Roman Catholic theology on how they are saved. Do you have I do. extra commentary you have here? Seen, you've seen this list or heard of this list. I would say known Catholic apologists, people that tend to hold to Catholic beliefs, and speak on behalf of many Catholics out there, like Catholic Answers would agree with the teachings of the Council of Trent. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but I would uh -huh. say that they hold on to that. If anyone says, I'm going to modernize this because this is in Old English, that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Ghost and is inherent in them, or even that the grace whereby we are justified is only the favor of God, let him be anathema. That's Catholic response to the Protestant Reformation. Which, For the record, Luther didn't want to leave and start his own church. The Pope says, yeah, we're kicking you out. So he wanted to keep the church united. He just kicked him out because they obviously didn't want to change. Yeah. And in the modern, if you want something more up to date, not just something from 500 years ago, from the Catholic Catechism today, since the initiative belongs to God, from paragraph 2010, since the initiative belongs to God in order in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. Pause. Great. We're not Pelagians. We agree. Yep. It's God's work. Great. Now this is where it becomes semi-Pelagian. I continue. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others. Pause. For others. For others. That's purgatory. That's indulgences or acts of penance that you can do. Okay. Another belief that's beyond scripture. Okay. Continue. And for others, the grace is needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. Meaning you can merit the attainment of eternal life. That's to... to Stick the words together there. Yeah, so what that does is that changes the nature of the atonement revealed plainly in Scripture by saying that Christ did this. And in addition to that, we can, you can whatever word you want to use, participate, share, help your pal Jesus a little bit by mm -hmm. doing uh, good deeds, which is in a way following the law pretty much. You earn yourself eternal life as stated here. Right. And, and this same, so that's laying it out to you. So those who are really anti-us calling Roman Catholics non-Christians realize that they, first of all, they anathematize you. So I don't know why you're trying to make friends. Um, but two, they explicitly deny the gospel. So if you're not going to call out the Roman Catholics as non-Christians, who are you going to call out? And it's really important because there's a lot of Roman Catholics out there. And again, this isn't speaking to their individual salvation, but they need to be corrected. 
especially the ones who think they're following everything correctly. Like, there's plenty of Roman Catholics who don't think they're following anything correctly at all, right? They might as well be evangelized like everybody else. The conservative Roman Catholics who think they're going to heaven and they, and they follow all the rules, they need to be corrected because they're going to hell. And when you don't correct them, you are doing them a disservice because you haven't gone through this, you're afraid to make enemies. You need to. Out of love, you need to correct them. And so we say the same thing about Eastern Orthodox, Coptics, or the many so-called apostolic churches, some of these old state churches, they fall into the exact same heresy as Roman Catholicism in that they believe that you are saved by Jesus and works. Um, sometimes it's not even works. Sometimes it's like the tradition of the church or whatever magic juju they get, but they don't believe Jesus alone is enough. They, don't, they reject the nature of the atonement. So even though they have occupied historic Christian churches, they are no longer Christian. And even the Eastern Orthodox go farther and say that you don't have original sin, some other stuff. Some of it's like misunderstandings because they're non-English speakers um, for the most part. But they reject fundamentally and specifically the salvation of, of Jesus paying for all your sin. Uh, yes, from like their latest time, they all got together in the Synod of Jerusalem, 1672, which it was, I think it's the most recent synod that they've had, which is... Not good. Should get together more often. Or yeah, should share things together. Anyway, this was in the context of their patriarch that they had just assassinated a few years back, Kirill Lukaris, who heard of the Reformation, read some Calvinist books, and says, "Like, wow, these things really are in the Bible. I wonder why our church hasn't been teaching these things. So we should print these things: and predestination." justification by faith alone the church can be corrected by scripture mm -hmm. it's like wow it's like all these things like you know like god has been just it's like probably like, like a moment like king just who was that king josiah mm -hmm. that hadn't discovered the law until he came to power yeah, it's like yeah. what is this old thing that we've been keeping in the temple and then he tears his robes probably a josiah moment right there so what did they what did his church do they got some jesuits some ottoman conspirators and some angry bishops orthodox church and assassinated him because they didn't want to reform. Uh, so in that context, the Synod of Jerusalem met 1672. They reject predestination and... Ah, here it is. Article 9. No one can be saved without faith, which is a, cert which is a certain persuasion and works by law, i.e. the observance of the divine commandments. It justifies before Christ, and without it, no one can please God. Okay? Article 13. Man is justified not by faith alone, but also by works. But there it is. <laughs> Literally a word-for-word -word refutation of Galatians. Just and, if, and Ephesians. Doesn't Ephesians, and Ephesians. No yeah, one may Ephesians boast. 2, 8 through 9, yep. So, they might as well add justified by faith and works and words. Because the Bible says all those, but they misinterpret the works one. Why don't they add the words one in there? Because they know it doesn't really apply but they're too, uh, I don't know, they <laughs> too something to not take out that works one as well. Yeah, I agree, because you're totally right. They, just like it says baptism saves, Second Peter, whatever says baptism saves, so too does Jesus say you will be um, judged by your words. Um, and nobody puts that in their statements of faith usually, uh, because again, it's out of context, because when Jesus says that, he means the words that they're speaking against God, and... Uh, Every careless word you speak will be judged against you, but we know that's not ultimate salvation. That's just one of many sins you can have. Same with not getting baptized. And another 
strange position that the Eastern Orthodox Church has, or I mean, at least the teachings of the church is that, because there may be individuals that reject, reject this, is that the that the Jesus didn't die in a penal way, like penal substitutionary. Oh, actually pay the price of sin, right? Which, interestingly enough, it is something that some Catholics historically have held, that mm -hmm. Christ had to die to actually remove the sins and have them, to take them upon himself, so that God wouldn't charge sins to us. Which, the imputation of sin is, in the Old Testament, blessed is the man to whom God shall not impute sin. Right. And it's restated again by Paul, so I would say it's double important since Paul takes the time to quote it in the New Testament. And same with the Epistle of Hebrews, goes through lots of efforts to show how Christ had to be like the Old Testament sacrifices, who cannot remove sins, but he can. Right. So, and you may be saying, if you're Eastern Orthodox out there, well, of course you would say this because the Imperial Church of, uh, of Rome was... Uh, manipulated by the Roman government to teach these things, or like the Frankish Empire, or the Pope, or whoever you want to call it. As you all know, I like Christians that have been running around outside of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. They haven't had any state influence forcing beliefs down their throats, like you might argue in the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic Church. These historians have been running out and about, persecuted, and pretty much independent from any government up until the, Mongo the Mongols um, turned them into their state religion. But for a long time, they weren't. So in the 800s, Bishop Alopen, probably Abraham in Syriac, presented this to the Emperor of China in one of his discourses. But the lamb was led to the slot. Oh, sorry, for context. He presents to the Emperor of China what Christianity is all about, what the beliefs are, and but he should be a Christian. But the lamb was led to the slaughter, soundless and voiceless. By the love of loving you, he suffered silently according to the law, in order to transform the corrupted nature of Adam. For instance, Mashiach died under the five attributes, but that was not the end of his life. Thus, even the foolish ones can avoid death, like the other descendants of Adam. Regarding death, there is no way for them to get rid of death. Only by the holy method of redemption can they be forgiven by the Mashiach. By this simple way, people can receive salvation through the suffering of the Mashiach. He was not without suffer strength to bear suffering or to do something, but he obeyed the law and was therefore crucified on the cross. I see the removal of sin, the fallen, corrupted state, nature, whatever we want to use. I mean, this was in Chinese, so take it as you may. Yeah. Now translate into English from Syriac. So something may be lost in translation. There's the removal of sin and the death of christ and the atonement pretty much i would say and yes did he redeem us through himself of course but he died he lived faithfully fulfilling the law to be the perfect sacrifice mm -hmm. so that's what we got we rolled through all the different groups that i have in the anathema category that we had separately in the anathema category you may disagree maybe you agree maybe you've thought of some other groups that should be there I want to note what is not in our anathema category. It was not in the non-Christian category. And that is a whole list of sins. And I have a separate part of the document, if you look at it, um, called warning signs. And those are big and small things. Some of them are big, some of them are small. They're warning sign beliefs. They include egalitarianism. They include the acceptance of homosexuality or other sexual perversions. They include pedo-baptism. You know, the, the, the gamut is large, right? And these are things that I disagree with. And I think they are hard to hold a church together 
and or they are just straight up sin. Um, however, they can still be considered Christian. And I think that's also almost equally controversial to the things I, we place in the anathema category because people also want to take positions like rejecting homosexuality is, is righteous and good. And so when you see a church that's pro-gay, you're like, that's evil. And you're right, rightfully, right? But I think that it is not a fundamental rejection of the gospel. I think it is wrong. I think it's very Corinthian church-esque and it's evil. Um, and we should call it out and we shouldn't join churches like that. And we should, we should call it out. It's an evil sin. It leads to death. However, it doesn't fundamentally reject the nature of God, nature of atonement, or nature of men. Um, you could argue that it, that it alters the nature of the atonement because it's saying that sin doesn't need to be atoned for. Um, but really, it's, it's a categorical thing. It's calling that not a sin. So they don't think it needs to be atoned for because they think it's not a sin. But they still say you need to be atoned for. Nevertheless, I digress. There are plenty of things we don't have in this list. But we're trying to make these, these, these lines, these dividing lines, as broad as possible. So we exclude the Roman Catholic, um, but only because we are forced to by their own admissions. All right. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap up? I had something on, like, uh, the reject a factious man, or uh, you'll know them because uh, you'll know my disciples because they love one another kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Could I mention that quick? Absolutely. All right. Um, so... <laughs> Brian and Lexi Sauvey <laughs> have mentioned this before in their podcast, Bright Hearth. Uh, and he he's a pastor of a church, Presbyterian kind of church, I think. Yep. And he said that sometimes they have an individual in their church who has read all the books, read all the doctrine, and yet they don't sh uh, show the character of a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so they have to excommunicate them, ask them to leave or whatever. Um, so that's one of those issues. Now, in one way, they could still be a brother. They're just being disciplined. But then in a, the second way, they could actually not be a brother. Right. So um, the Bible says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And... Um, I would add to that, if you are um, if you are disciples, then you are brothers in Christ. Uh, therefore, um, some confession or claim rather of discipleship is what am I saying? <laughs> uh, there are plenty of verses uh, that speak of pe uh, not associating with people who cause division and introduce destructive heresy. Um, even if they profess to know God, they can deny God by their deeds. That's Titus 1.16. Mm -hmm. And Titus 2.14 is he redeemed us and purified us to make us a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Um, Titus 3.10-11 says, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Now, who is a factious man? We see earlier in chapter 3 that he is one who maligns others, is disobedient, deceived, enslaved to lusts and pleasures, envious, hateful. Such a person must be left alone. Um, such a person must be excommunicated, disfellowshipped, or whatever word or action that pertains to that, so that they may, one, 
not pollute the church, and two, that they might be humbled and come to confess and repent of their sin. Because um, that's what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, where he says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I believe that saying, the hope is that uh, like excommunicating them from the, or just delivering them to their, the world, that which they prefer over the church, they may hopefully see the error of their ways, um, see the contrast of the world versus the church, and then come back to the church, understand their sin, confess, um, and yeah, yeah, be one with church. To have a moment like the prodigal son, running mm -hmm. back to the father. Uh -huh. yeah. And we should all realize that, um, like you just said, Theodore, somebody may have all their theological T's and I's crossed and dotted, like I said in the very beginning here, but not be a Christian, i.e. they're not showing any fruit. So along with all these official things you can hold to, if you're not showing fruit, you're also anathema. You may correct me if I'm mistaken, maybe this is not theologically sound, but the best theologian other than God out there floating around the world is Satan. He knows God. Very well, I would say, probably better than any human or knows all these things about him, seen him face to face. I would say, actually, yes, he has in Job. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, he may know everything there is to know about God. He doesn't love him or serve him. Right. So just knowing things about God doesn't mean much. It really is a movement of the Holy Spirit, since we should be temples of the Holy Spirit. That's moving us and communicating the love of God. And... Uh, to us, shaping us every day, moving us closer to perfection. I would say we're not going to get there until we get new bodies, but it's always striving. There may be some oopsies along the way in which God is more than gracious to be glorified even in our, in our sins as Christians, as well as in our successes that he brings to us. Right. Amen. And that's why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael Lambeth behind the machine, and to my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And over the airwaves, it's been... Peter, under the PC. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundgods.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful faces and our shorts, you're going to have to go to facebook.com slash foundcause or youtube.com slash something, some long list of letters. Just look us up. We're the Found Cause. We're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcast. But again, we have shorts out now. Don't you want to... We're not on TikTok, unfortunately, because I don't want spyware on my phone, but we're on, we're on Facebook Reels. We're on Instagram Reels. We're on YouTube Shorts. I mean, where else do you want your short form content, huh? Who even has TikTok anyways? So until next time, we talk about something completely different, and I mean it. Bye-bye. <laughs>